0: Today we have the second of two sermons on what Jesus called the greatest commandment. He took this um, combined commandment from the books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Last week we saw the first part of it from Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And today we're talking about the second part of it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That comes from Leviticus chapter 19. I'm going to read starting at verse 16. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart any anyone of your kin. You shall not reprove, you shall reprove your neighbor or you will incur guilt on yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Follow, O oh Lord, the preaching of this word with your spirit, that in so far as it is true, it will be written indelibly on our hearts. And in so far as, as it is false, it will be quickly forgotten and do no harm. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Leading up to Labor Day, Maggie and I spent nearly three weeks in Maine, most of it on Swan's Island, near the entrance to Acadia National Park. The island is home to 300 people, mainly lobster men and women. Because it was late in the season and because most of the summer people had left, and we surmise, because this is actually our 10th year there, we seemed to be a little more recognized and accepted by year-round residents. We talked to one of the old-timers, a stalwart leader of the community, who now walks with a walker. He was in his car outside the small store that serves as the island's heartbeat waiting for the kind owner to gather his weekly groceries and bring them to the car so as to spare him having to navigate his walker on the one aisle in the store. The man pointed to the vacant lot behind the store where his one-room schoolhouse had stood. When he learned that we were from Virginia, he shared that he had been stationed at Fort Belvoir as a young soldier. He said that he had been disappointed when, after basic training, he was assigned there. I think he had done his basic training there, rather than a base where many of his fellow enlistees were being sent. I just wasn't as smart as the guys from the mainland, he said. Now, over the years, we have watched this man preside over contentious town hall meetings, work with others to make a decision to sell the citizens, citizen-owned electrical co-op to the local utility company, support a 10-year project of renovating the lighthouse, and be involved with efforts to bring broadband to the island, and to take tickets at the Sunday morning Oddfellows pancake breakfasts, which we don't miss. <laughs> he told us he didn't read books, But he learned what he learned from watching nature and watching people. But still he said, I wasn't as smart as the people from the mainland. After his military service, he couldn't wait to return home to the island where he has spent his entire life ever since. Now, whenever we return from Maine, invariably, some of you ask what books I read on vacation. This year, both Maggie and I had fewer impending projects, so we slept more, hiked, and relaxed. Slept more, hiked, and relaxed more. I only read one major book. Its title is The Hidden Order of Intimacy, which sounds like a racy novel. (laughs) But its subtitle is Reflections on the Book of Leviticus. <laughs> yes Leviticus Most people who try to read the Bible who try to read the Bible cover to cover stumble on this it's third book if indeed they make it through Genesis and Exodus Leviticus has sections on, hold on to your seats, voluntary sacrifices, mandatory sacrifices, special sacrificial instructions for priests, special sacrificial instructions for people, clean and unclean. I didn't mean to turn to the choir with that one. (laughs) The Day of Atonement and the Holiness Code. For, For centuries, we Christians have been taught that we have been set from the Old Testament law and from any excessive rules or regulations about worship. As a book of law and with many prescriptions about worship, Leviticus is not a biblical book to which we are inclined to turn. But right in the middle of this book lies a sentence we know by heart. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This fragment of a verse that consists of only three words in Hebrew is, as we saw last Sunday, the second part of the greatest commandment lifted up by Jesus. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This verse has become a classic for Jews and Christians. It is clear, simple and direct. It doesn't involve doctrine or worship or church government. Rather, it describes what what we are to do in the world after we leave worship. This aspect of the greatest commandments appeals to us because we can love our neighbor at any stage or age, whether, like our friend on the island, we feel intelligent or not, whether we are stationed far away from home, Or live in the familiar confines in which we were reared. Love your neighbor as yourself. Over the century these three Hebrew words have given rise to Jews and Christians. Feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, sheltering the homeless. Inspired by these words we have sought to end wars and return POWs. We have sought to protect the world and its people. From climate crises, disease, malnutrition, poverty, homelessness, illiteracy, tyranny, genocide, and totalitarianism. Inspired by this commandment, we have sought to abolish slavery, extend suffrage, prevent lynching, reform prisons, improve working conditions, care for the aged, the infirmed, the disabled, the mentally ill. We have established orphanages and academies in faraway places. We have funded work on Indian reservations and in Appalachia. These words have led us as a people of God to welcome the immigrant, to accept people who differ from us in matters of sexual orientation or gender identity, and at our best to seek to understand the moral reasoning and respect the conscience of people who are pro-life and people who are pro-choice. Even closer to home, the words, Love thy neighbor, call to our mind and even our vision and memory. People, who, people we know who have devoted the better part of their lives To the daily care of another human being. A disabled child. A spouse or a parent with Alzheimer's. A sibling or a close friend who's had a stroke. When I hear these words, I see the faces of parents of severely disabled children and youth in the churches I have served. Ed and Martha Dale Stock, Roy and Linda Case, Bonnie and Herb Neubauer, Sandra Raymond. Some of these folks are no longer living. And when I hear the words, I see the faces of several of you in this sanctuary who are doing or have done the same thing. You do love your neighbor. You do love any one of your kin as yourself. But lest we be naive or unrealistic, as important as this verse is to us and to our faith, when we are honest, we know that it remains contrary to our fallen human nature a fact that biblical writers did not hide. One of the first cries raised in Scripture comes a few chapters into Genesis. Am I my brother's keeper? In one of the most famous parables of Jesus, a man who is beaten, robbed, and left for dead has to watch as two, count them two, separate religious officials pass Him by before a foreigner, a stranger, a Samaritan, a Gentile stops to nurse his wounds. Jesus himself says, The poor you will always have with you. And Paul even writes, Let those who don't work not eat when Freud labeled love of neighbor as unpsychological, he was on to something. Furthermore, the immediate context in which the commandment appears exposes the degree to which love toward even the the people closest to us may not be our default position. In the verses immediately prior to the commandment, God has observed what we are prone to do and specified what we are not to do. You shall not go around as a slanderer, the commandment says, as a gossip among your people. You shall not stand over the blood of your neighbor without doing something to assist You shall not hate in your heart anyone of your kin. You shall not incur guilt upon yourself by failing to reprove, talk to, confront your neighbor. And finally, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people. Last week we said that the Hebrew understanding of loving God with all our heart means loving God with both sides of our hearts. The side that contains the beautiful and positive and the side that contains the less beautiful and negative. Likewise, even and especially in our closest relationships, we must honestly confront that which divides and stands between us and our neighbor. So that out of that conversation, as difficult as it is, our relationship with our neighbor might continue. And that we might even find a deeper respect for those with whom we disagree or from whom we are different. Blake once wrote, I was angry with my friend. I told my wrath, my wrath did end. I was angry with my foe, I told it not, my wrath did grow. Now, as much as we associate love of neighbor with those who are needy, the man on the side of the road, we can never overlook loving the neighbor who is close at hand. Quote, anyone of our kin who is different from us and suddenly is a part of our circle. The place we are most likely to learn such empathy is within our relationships, like family, marriage, love, friendship, work, school, Church, because developing empathy is a lifelong quest, we often learn it best from those with whom we spend most of our lives. This is true particularly when a relationship might involve someone we initially dismiss as strange, different, or other. Philosopher Eric santor writes... Only from the center does there arise a bounded home in an unbounded world. A patch of ground between four tent pegs that can be posted further and further out. How many of us have had our hearts and minds changed overnight or over time? When one who is radically different from us, who is a stranger to us, has emerged within our family. Through our interaction with this person, this stranger, this one who is different from us, this newcomer. How many of us have moved the tent pegs a little bit further on the path, patch of ground that we call our home? How many of us have learned a little empathy through coming to know the stranger who is among us? One final and crucial point made by Aviva Zornberg, who's the author of the one book I read on vacation about Leviticus. She writes, In our obligations to the neighbor, we open ourselves also to the idea of God as present within this paradoxical love of neighbor. Within the concrete dimensions of living in the midst of life, living with a stranger, living with the one who is different, living with the neighbor. We can recognize not just our humanitarian commitments, but we can recognize the very presence of God. In a famous but sometimes misunderstood quote, Sartre closed his play No Exit with the words, Hell is other people. That's a pretty accurate statement of the way some of us feel around holidays, (laughs) family reunions, other times. But the the deeper truth is that God is other people. Or at least more theologically responsible, God is within other people. When we encounter others, we catch a glimpse of their uniqueness and their distinctiveness. We catch a glimpse of ourselves. And we catch a glimpse of God working within all of us. As we love the neighbor, it may even help us to see that that, perhaps the reason we didn't get that assignment to the base we wanted didn't have anything to do with our intelligence. Amen.